Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we admit our, our great need, our, our weakness. Father, we, we need life from you, spiritual life from you. And hearing your word is what sustains our spiritual life. So Father, I pray that you would do your work this morning that you would bring spiritual life to those hearts, those souls within this room that came in without it. And that for those of us who are in Christ, that more and more our hearts would be shaped, molded by what your word says, that we would believe, that we would walk by faith. For this in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, if you look at the heading of Psalm 103, you'll see that it's identified in our Bibles as being of David. This David was most well known for being God's chosen king of Israel. He was the king who led Israel in defeat of all of their enemies, uh, the king who, who led Israel to expand its territory to the boundaries that the Lord had prescribed for them when they first entered into the promised land. He is still considered to be the greatest king in Israel's history. And the main reason for that is, is not due to his military success, but to his devotion to the Lord. Particularly in writing psalms to help his people to pray and, and worship, and most importantly, to know the Lord their God. In the New Testament, uh, David's psalms are, are quoted more than any other psalms, and, and particularly in Mark twelve thirty six, we see Jesus quoting one of David's psalms, and Jesus begins by saying that David wasn't just writing the psalms just out of his heart, or for his own purposes. But Jesus says that there was a divine agenda going on in the Psalms of David. So right before Jesus quoted a verse from Psalm 110, he said, David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, and then quoted the Psalm. David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared. Jesus states clearly that when David wrote his psalms, the Holy Spirit spoke through his writing. They're not just David's words. 
They are the words of God. Then in the book of Acts, we find the apostles doing the same thing as they are quoting the Psalms of David to show that Jesus was the promised Messiah. In Acts 1.16, it says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. And then they quoted one of David's Psalms. And then in Acts 4, 24 and 25, while the apostles are praying, they praise God for speaking through David in his psalm, saying this, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, by the Holy Spirit, and then again quoting Psalm 2, another psalm of David. So friends, we are to be assured that when we read these psalms, we are reading the very words of God. They are not just devotional insights and confessions of, of one man of God. These are the revelatory words of God who made the heavens and the earth telling us what he wants us to know. And in this incredible psalm, we are being, we are being called to praise the Lord and we are being told many wonderful things about the Lord for which we are to praise him. And God wants us to know these things about himself and about ourselves, as we see particularly in the verses we just read, verses 13 through 16. There's some things about ourselves that God wants us to know. And God wants us to praise him, to glorify him. He knows it is the right uh, thing for us to do and that it is good for us to do, as we see here in Psalm 103. So our, our main theme is, is, is just this. The Lord wants us to know him as Father and worship him as holy. The Lord wants us to know him as Father and worship him as holy. So in the second half of this magnificent psalm, we find that the Holy Spirit, through David, is calling us to, to think about ourselves Think about ourselves, who we are, particularly in our relationship with God and how we are to live in that relationship. So we will ask three questions uh, of this text this morning to help, us, uh, to help to guide us through these verses and help us to hear the Holy Spirit's message for us. So the first question, uh, verses 13 through 16, how are we to understand the Lord's relationship with his people? How are we to understand the Lord's relationship with his people? And then secondly, verses 17 and 18, our question is, who are those whom the Lord has committed himself to love? Who are those whom the Lord has committed himself to love? Verses 17 and 18. And then finally, number three, how are we to understand the Lord's relationship with all people? How are we to understand the Lord's relationship with all people? Verses 19 through 22. So first, how are we to understand the Lord's relationship with his people? Verses, six, uh, verses 13 through 16 again. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. 
So Psalm 103 is primarily about God. David is calling us to praise the Lord, and that is the main theme, for we see it both at the beginning of the psalm, verses 1 and 2, and then, of course, at the end, in verses 20 through 22, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. But then sandwiched between these calls to, to bless or praise the Lord are the reasons for why we ought to praise him. These are, there are descriptions of his blessings toward his people and, and revelations about who God is, particularly who God is toward his people. And it's clear that the Lord wants us to know him. He wants us to know what he is like. He wants us to tell the truth about him when we talk about him to others. He wants us to think rightly about him and not be led astray by false understandings of who he is. As that great uh, author A.W. Tozer uh, once wrote, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what are we to think about God, particularly in his relationship with us? Well, we see that God wants us to know him as Father and us as his children. So we see here in verse 13. But what kind of father does God want us to know that he is? Sadly, we are all aware that some fathers are harsh, self-centered, abusive, or absent, as some fathers have either left their children behind or those who still live in the same house but, but don't pay much attention to their children at all. But the main description that we are shown describing what kind of father the Lord is toward his people is one of compassion. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The word has, been trans has, had also, has also been translated as showing pity, compassion, showing pity. It is, it is sympathizing with and having mercy on those who are in need. God is well aware of our weaknesses. And instead of our weaknesses repelling him away from us, instead, he draws near to us to help us, to care for us in our weakness. He's not ashamed of our weakness. He pities us. He knows our frame. He, he remembers that we are dust. And this, of course, is a, is a direct reference back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, where we learn that the Lord shaped and formed man out of the dust from the ground. And then, and then when the Lord was announcing his judgment upon man for his sin in the garden, the Lord explained that man would die by saying, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God wants us to know. He wants us to remember how weak and frail we really are. It always strikes me how amazingly complex the human body is. I mean, the more that you learn about how the different parts of our body work together in order, in order for us to live each day, continuing to breathe and move and react to things through our, our senses and think 
and, and communicate and process information so quickly all the while we're, we're, we're digesting food and, and, and our bodies are sorting you know, through the proteins and the nu- nutrients while disposing of the waste. We are truly, fearfully, and wonderfully made. It's amazing. And yet, one little slip of our feet while we're walking down the stairs or a little microscopic virus that we don't even know we have in us until it's too late or tiny little cancer cells that begin to multiply in the wrong area of our body and our lives can be snuffed out just like that. It really doesn't take very much. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. David is just repeating here what the Lord reiterates to us elsewhere. For example, Psalm 102, verse 11, where the psalmist laments, My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. If your lawn was was like mine this summer, then you know how quickly grass can just wither away. But in Israel, within a much more arid climate, the grass that, that's, that does sprout up in the spring doesn't last very long at all. It either withers away from the lack of rain and with the burning sun and wind beating on that grass or the sheep and goats, which quickly eat it up if they can get, it, get to it in time. And the Bible says that's what our lives are like. Our bodies are made of dust, and our lifespan, in the great scheme of things, is similar to that of a wildflower in a field. Or as James puts it in the New Testament, you are a mist, a vapor, that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The Lord wants us to know this about ourselves. When we think about ourselves, he wants us to remember our weaknesses, our frailty, that we are like jars of clay, easily broken and ruined. But also, the Lord wants us to know that he takes pity on us. He is like a father who has compassion for his children. He is a kind father who will provide us with what we need if we would just ask him like the weak, dependent little children that we are. He is a strong father who will protect us from our greatest enemy, Satan, and his minions who seek to destroy our souls and tempt us away from the Lord. Jesus tells us in John 10, 28 and 29 that for those that belong to him who belong to Christ, he says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then he says, my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. We are each like a a tiny little infant being held by his big, strong Father. If if you've ever seen it, it's, 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 it's wonderful to see. The little baby, you know, clutching 
his father's shirt with his tiny little weak hands, thinking that he's the one keeping himself close to his father while the baby is being held and supported by the large, strong hands of his father cradling him. We all know the baby is helpless on his own. But no one is going to take that little baby out of those strong hands. We are to understand our relationship with God like that weak, helpless baby being protected and provided for by the strongest and most loving and compassionate of fathers. I hope that you know God like that. Secondly, in verses 17 and 18, who are those whom the Lord has committed himself to love? Who are those whom the Lord has committed himself to love? Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. In verse 2, David called his readers to bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. David was, of course, writing the psalm for his people Israel, which was distinct from all other nations in that they had this special covenant relationship with the Lord. In fact, every time you see David mention the Lord in this psalm, he is not just using um, a, a title here like, like the Lord or the King or, or Master. He's using the covenant name of God, Yahweh, Yahweh, uh, the name that, that, that God revealed to Moses for his people to know him when he delivered them out of slavery in Egypt and made a covenant with them in the wilderness. We, we know this in our English translations because it's in all capital letters, Lord, 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 that's the name of God, Yahweh, Yahweh. He revealed that, that, that name to his people through Moses he wanted them to know that they would be his people, that he would be their God, and so Yahweh has a special relationship with these people whom David's writing this Psalm 4. They are distinctive. They are set apart from all other nations who were not chosen by God. Not everyone in the world knows God as this merciful father who sympathizes with his children. Now, yes, in, in a sense, the Lord does love all people. We can point to John 3.16 and see there that it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Yet at the same time, as we read Psalm 103 and really throughout, throughout the Psalms, it's pretty difficult to ignore the conditions for what it means to be his people, what it means to belong to God, when we see them in the scriptures um, as those who are the distinctive people whom God has committed himself to love. David has brought it up in this psalm, not once, not twice, but three times. We see it first in, in verse 11. You want to look back there. For as high as heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward who? Those who fear him. And then two verses later, in our, our passage for this morning, verse 13, regarding those whom the Lord will show his compassion as a father um, to his children, 
As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to who? To those who fear him. And then David completes the triad in verse 17, again using the same description. But the steadfast of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Those whom the Lord has committed himself to love are those who fear him. Or even more literally, those fearing him. It's a, it's a present participle. Those who fear the Lord and keep on fearing him. Those fearing him now. The Lord wants us to know this. We, we are not to think that just because we were born into the world that, 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 that God created, that we are automatically brought into this loving, merciful relationship with the Lord. He has not made promises of forgiveness and redemption to any and every person walking around in the world, but to only those who fear him. His steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting, not upon everyone who claims to believe in him, nor to those who just come to church once in a while. It says here, it is on those who fear him. Okay, pastor, well, what's it mean to fear him? Well, look at verse 18. Again, to those, those who fear him, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And again, it, it, it goes back to this covenant relationship that the Lord has with his redeemed people. David is once again taking us back to Exodus, Exodus 19 and 20, uh, when the people gathered um, at Mount Sinai. So the Lord's people are there gathered at Mount Sinai after the Lord had uh, delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, and the Lord appeared before them and spoke to them his commandments. Just imagine being a part of that great assembly at the bottom of Mount Sinai. I'm going to read it to you from chapter 19 of Exodus, verses 16 through 20, says, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And Moses met with God on the mountain and then Moses came down once again to warn the people to not get too close to the mountain or they would die. Moses brought them to the mountain because God was appearing before them there. He wanted them to be close to God, but, but not too close or they would die. And then we see verse uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 20. God spoke all these words, again, to the people gathered around the mountain, 
I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then the Lord declared to them what we know as the Ten Commandments. And this, 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 this scene here left just a great lasting impression on the people, as you might imagine, hearing God speak to them the commandments from this burning mountain in a voice that, that shook the earth like thunder. And so we're given their response to this experience in verse 18 of chapter 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the, th- and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So one of the ways that we naturally respond to something or someone that we fear is we keep ourselves as far away from them them as possible. We avoid them. We run away from them. And Moses tells the people that they were not to fear God in that way. For the Lord had redeemed them He had saved them. The Lord was establishing this relationship with them. He wanted them to be his people. He had committed himself to them. They were to know that. But at the same time, the Lord also wanted them to have the fear of the Lord before them for the purpose of them taking his words seriously. He says that they may not sin. So they would take his words seriously and know that God plays for keeps. He wasn't messing around. If they didn't take him him or his word seriously, there would be serious, deadly consequences for them. So those who fear the Lord in Psalm 103 are those who take the Lord's covenant with his people seriously. That is, they, they trust They trust with all their heart that the Lord is their Redeemer, that he is their Savior. They trust that the Lord is for them. They are certain of his steadfast love for them, for he has shown his steadfast love through saving them and making them his own. So they trust him. They listen to his word. They take his word seriously, and they obey what he says. They seek to get to know him better by reading and meditating on his word. Because they live this way, they then show themselves in this world that's gone so far away from God, they show themselves to be distinct from others in the world who frankly could care less about what God says, who definitely don't take him seriously. So my friends, does this describe you? Does this describe you, where where you are at this morning? Are are you among those who fear the Lord? Do you take seriously what his word says? If you haven't been, well then now is the right time to begin. 
do what his word says in the New Testament. That is, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe that, that God's Son died for your sins on the cross to forgive you of your sins, to forgive you for your, for your works of unrighteousness, and that he rose again from the grave to show that he is Lord. So put your hope in him. Follow him. Take him seriously, my friends. For if you don't, I can give you no assurance that he will have compassion on you or forgive your sins and your transgressions. Make sure you are among those whom he has committed to love from everlasting to everlasting. Make sure you are one of those who fear the Lord. The last question we're looking at is how are we to understand the Lord's relationship with his people? This is verses 19 through 22, primarily though verse 19 here. How are we to understand the Lord's relationship with all people, with all people? The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. There's the answer. Here David reveals to us the immense holiness of God. He is set apart from all creation. All creation is, is lower than, than God is under him in power, authority, greatness, and even potential. No matter how high we get, we will always be lower than the Lord. He will always be higher than we are. No matter how strong we get as a people, he will always be stronger. No matter how intelligent we can get in scientific, medical, astronomic, biological, even theological understanding, God will always know more, infinitely more, than we ever will. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Again, the Lord's throne is in the heavens. He is over all creation. He is the sole reason why there is even anything, why man exists, why there are suns and galaxies, why the earth remains in the place like it does. He has all authority over all of it, from the tiniest of molecules in a Petri dish to the farthest stars and planets in the universe, the Lord sits enthroned forever. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man, the most powerful men in the world, are nothing compared to the Lord and his sovereign power. Hitler. Hitler thought he was pretty powerful. Putin. Putin thought he had the resources and the military to have his way and do as he pleased. Even Trump. Trump thought he could have things go his way. In the last two, two elections particularly, but I'm afraid no matter how powerful we think we are, no matter how influential we think we are, we are nothing, nothing compared to the, to the Lord who has established his throne in the heavens, whose kingdom rules over all people. There's nothing compared to him. As Psalm 115, verse 3 declares, our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Or Psalm 135, verse 6, 
whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This is Yahweh. This is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy. High and lifted up above all people, kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God. And yet, and yet, as we have seen throughout Psalm 103, our God also forgives all of our iniquity. He heals all all our diseases, redeems our life from the grave, crowns his own with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies us, made of dust, satisfies us with good, renews our youth like the eagles, all in the age to come for those who fear him and who hope in his name. He is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. This God, this holy, holy God, shows kindness and mercy to unworthy sinners like us. Oh, friend, why wouldn't you want to know this God? Why wouldn't you want to give yourself completely to such a king.